This is Sunny D West, and this is the Sunny D West Audio Experience. I want to I want to encourage you to have fruitful encounters, to have purposeful encounters, to have real encounters, authentic. You know, it's it's interesting when when you're in transition and you're stepping into kind of a new arena for where God's calling you, and most people are so busy waiting for everybody else to recognize where God's calling them, but God's waiting for you to recognize where he's calling you. And, you know, as I was, think, as I was just kind of pondering over tonight, I was like, you know, I, I, I've been feeling the unctioning, I've been feeling the pushing and the pulling of the Lord of calling me into a, a new place of just kind of uh, stepping into a greater authority in the areas of the prophetic and, um, you know, and walking out my calling in the office that he's called me to and, and, and doing that. And I've become more and more kind of comfortable with that. And, and, I've, and I've seen the, the process of other people that have, um, that have gone through that. Like John Paul Jackson, for a long time, the Lord wouldn't allow him to release any of his teachings, any of his materials for, up until he was about 40 years old. And so, like, much of his dream um, uh, classes and things of that nature weren't, weren't available until he was 40. Or I, I look at, like, you know, um, it wasn't until after, you know, 40 that, like, Sean Boltz has this encounter. Like, Sean's been around forever. But all of a sudden, he has this encounter with this angel, and then everything changes overnight for him. And then he's, here he is in, you know, Azusa now, and he's calling people out out of like, you know, 50,000 people or 60, however many people were there. And so like, you know, I, I start looking at, all right, God, like you, you obviously are a God of process, you know, and I think sometimes our, our journey into the promised land is often dictated by how much murmuring and complaining we do while in the process. Look, you want to know, you don't really want to know why it took the Israelites so long to come out of Egypt. This is what Psalm says about them. Psalm says that they, it took them for as long as it did because they did not remember his good deeds. In other words, they didn't live a lifestyle of gratitude or thankfulness. They actually lived a lifestyle of, where are we going to drink now, Moses? Or what are we going to eat now? They had, they had daily bread. Like, bread came every day from heaven manifested but yet they were complaining water came from a rock if water started if a fountain of water started coming from these bricks right now i would be the first one to dump out my bottle and start filling it up and then host a midnight tv show for 1990 no <laughs> someone once told me god's going to strike me with lightning and I was like, no, it's okay. God likes my sense of humor. And so, but, so I felt like God's been calling me to this place of kind of bringing about a proper doctrine, bringing about a proper understanding of the purpose of like the prophetic and the encounters and operating in those realms. Not because I'm anyone special. Really, it's not. I mean, the most special thing about me is my Bob Ross hat. Like, 
See, Bob Ross is amazing. Let me, let me just go on for a few minutes about Bob Ross. I promise, my, I promise my conversation of ADD will make sense. Bob Ross, if you've never seen Bob Ross, you need to YouTube Bob Ross. He's absolutely amazing. He's an artist. He's, he's passed away at this point. But he's one of the most calming, peaceful people on the planet. And, like, one of the most, like, I love art and I, I love things surrounded by art, but... What I've learned through Bob in, in the areas of art is never allow a mistake to stop you in the area of creativity because that mistake could become something beautiful. Much like never be held up by something in your past because God will make it something beautiful in the future. See, we can learn a lot from Bob because Bob would be painting and be like, oh, my brush made an accidental stroke. That's okay. Let's turn this happy little, let's turn this stroke into a happy little tree. And then he would make it a tree and you would never know that it was never supposed to be a part of the painting. Or he'd turn it into a, you know, a content little rock. Or a fluffy little cloud or whatever it might be. And so it's understanding that God can take something that was an accidental stroke in the timeline of your, listen, your timeline of your life is this big and that, mis, that, that glimpse of, that moment of error is only this much of your timeline. But God will says, you know what? I'm going to redeem all of that time, even that little bit of time, and I'm going to make it beautiful. See, God makes everything beautiful in time. I love Larry Randolph said this. He said, God has factored our stupidity into the equation. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I was working for a radio station a number of years ago. I was in charge of all shipping and receiving. And part of my job was engineers would fly out across America and they would put, um, they would install radio stations, antennas, and all this other stuff. I would ship stuff this, this size that was worth, you know, $80,000. So, I, you know, I had a lot of pressure. Well, one day I shipped something somewhere and it went to the wrong address. And so it delayed the engineer. Well, because it delayed the engineer, the engineer decided to go out for a drive. As he's out for the drive, he stumbles upon a man who had fallen down a cliff. And nobody was around. Cell phones don't work, nothing. He was able to rescue that man, take him to the hospital. And if that man would never have, came across, like, would never have been found by the engineer, he would have died. And... At first, I start, you know, I got in trouble because I, I made a mistake. And then I get this report back like a few days after I'd gotten in trouble. And I sent it to my boss right away. I said, I understand you might be angry, but God worked in my error. Sometimes God will work in, the, in, our, in our mistakes. And so, um, but that's, that was free. That's not about the supernatural stories. And so... It could be. And so one of, the, one of the first stories that I want to share with you was I'm driving. I'm, I just left work, and, you know, and I lived like 30 miles away from my work. So that was a long, that's a long drive, and especially in California. And I'm driving, and I, got, and I was just, I was not in a good mood, was not in a good mood at all. And from there... I said, you know what? I need to worship God. So I turned off all the music. I just drove in silence. And I was like, Lord, I love you. 
And I just began telling God how much he meant to me. And the next thing I know, while driving, I'm caught up. I'm caught up into the spirit. And I, I go into this encounter and here I'm dancing with Jesus in this encounter. And, you know, that's just, let's, you know, that gets a little awkward, me being a man and I'm dancing with Jesus and we're kind of like, you know, very like, you know, prom dancing and stuff. And in that, I step on his toes. I'm clumsy. I'm clumsy. And, but he, he kept dancing. But he could tell that my demeanor, meanwhile, keep in mind, I'm driving on the freeway. But I'm having this experience. And so he sees my demeanor and he looks at me and goes, Wesley, don't worry about it. I've been doing this a long time. I know how to keep dancing, even if you step on my toes. And right there, everything dissipated. All, all the discontent, all the frustration. I don't even, I can't even tell you what I'm mad at, what I was upset about. Because right there, I experienced the grace of God and how it's truly meant to be experienced. That even in the midst of our, our, we step on his toes. To not find myself so caught up and discombobulated that I can't continue moving forward. He says, don't worry about it. I've been doing this a long time. This doesn't mess up my step. This doesn't mess up my rhythm. I can keep going with you. And so I learned a lot so much from that time of just how gentle he truly is, how, how graceful he, literally it brought an understanding that graceful that I never thought I would experience with the Lord. When we talk about the Lord being graceful, we think, you know, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, like slow to anger, rich in love, and, you know, as far as the east is from, and, and we think that. But understanding that he's so graceful that in the moments of our misstepping, he can cause our steps to be spun around and he ordains the path of the righteous. And that's what he did in that moment. In the moment of my misstepping, he ordained the steps. He, he corrected my, he guided my steps so like it was like I never missed a beat. There was another time I, I, see, I see this picture of Jesus and he's walking along the beach. And I, and I can see the ocean coming back and forth. And he begins searching and sifting. As if, you, if you've ever, um, you know, did gold digging or, um, you know, panning for gold, like you start sifting and you start allowing like, you know, the, the small things to start floating out with the water. And, he, and he's picking up the sands and he's doing that. And I said, what are you doing, Lord? He goes, I'm looking for the treasure. And I said, what's this beach? What is this? He goes, this is your life. 
He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm sifting through all the sentiment. I'm sifting through all the grains of sand so that I can begin to pull out the treasure that's inside of you and put it on display. I'm collecting the treasure that's always been there. It's just been, it's been buried in the sand. It's been washed over by the water. It's been, but I'm going to bring it to the surface now. And I was like, God, like, like it inspired this poem from, like for me to write this poem and begin to like, and I just shared it. And I, I remember I shared it with, with my grandmother at the time and she brought it to her church and she attended a Seventh-day Adventist church. They don't believe in meat, let alone the supernatural. You know, like, I feel like it goes hand in hand. Like, we believe in bacon, and we believe in the supernatural. And, you know, so they didn't even believe in that. But they read this poem, and she told them how I got it. And it became, like, the front page of their, like, news, their newspaper for, that, for their church for, like, a while. And it began to minister to other people. And it's like God can begin to take those things that you don't even know are inside of you and sift through them and bring out the gold that's within you, the treasure that's already buried within you. He has that ability. That's how good he is. That even in the, he can go through all the dirt and gunk in your life and pull out the treasure. He cleans it up. He puts it on display. I remember another encounter I had. And like I said, at any point in time that you just want, you feel like the Lord's tugging on you. But the floor here, it's Psalms 23. He brings me along green pastures. And he sets me before still waters so that you can rest. And so I'm in, this, I'm, in, I'm in this encounter and I go before the Lord. And he hands me a key. And it was interesting as I instantly, when he handed me the key, I knew where to go and I knew where to take it. And so I remember I, 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 come, I came before the throne of God and I'm, and I'm talking to Jesus. And he hands me this key. And I take it and I go to the right. And, and I go down the hallway. And right before the end of the hallway, there's two, there's two more doors, the second door on the right. And I go into this room. And as I'm in this room, I walk in and I see all these body parts. And they're like in these little like, you know, science looking jars. And I see like arms and legs and different random, you know, pieces of a human body. And I was like, ah, this is for, these are, these are, this is for healing. And this is before I heard about anyone ever having an encounter like this. I wasn't familiarized with these encounters. I'd never heard about them. No one, I, though I was brought into a, 
um, a church that, or a youth group that believed in the supernatural, they were growing in it at the same time. And so they themselves didn't know, you know, this kind of went by the leading of the Holy Spirit and hoped to God that they were right, you know. And as we went along the way, we found other people that would come along and help equip us. So I didn't know much about these encounters. But I encountered this room that many people with healing ministries have encountered. And where all these body parts are. Well, then I go out and I go to the last room on the right before the double doors. There's these, there's these double doors, but inside, past the double doors are the king's chamber. See, what's interesting is I knew the layout of the house. I knew the layout of God's, of God's dwelling place. Like I'd been there before. Because before I was in my mother's womb, I was with him. So I knew where these places were because I'd been there before. Because I was with him. And so I'm in this next room. And in this room, there are all these keys. And I began looking at them. And I go, what are these keys to? Like I'm thinking to myself, what are these? Ah, these keys are for people's healing. These are the keys to healing. So I start looking for a friend that I knew that needed healing in their back. And each person had their own key. Every key had a name. And I began to look for my friend's name, and they weren't in alphabetical order. It's kind of like going to like, like a movie store, you know? It's like, where are they? Or like, you know, looking at my movies, and they're all like not in order. And... I finally find my friend's name and I'm like, and I look at their key and it's gold. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. They need healing in their body. Like they always are complaining about their back. Like you ever just want to see somebody healed so they'll stop complaining? But that was a joke. And so I look at this key and it's perfectly gold. It's shiny. It's brilliant. And I really like, oh, this is weird. So I began to look for somebody else's key. And the key that I find is tarnished, like an old, like a really what an old key would really look like. And I said, "Well, that's." And they needed healing in their body as well. So I just began to pray for healing. And but I kept on thinking about like, and the, and I actually kind of pondered on this encounter for a long time, like years actually. It took me like a year, year and a half to kind of come into the conclusion of what, what these keys represented. And I realized that the difference between these two keys was somebody who had a relationship with the Lord and then somebody who didn't. And that the keys that I was actually looking at, because it says that when Jesus went into the center of the earth that he got the keys of life and death, but yet there was a key for each person. And what I was looking at was the key of life and death, the key that unlocks life or, or locks up death, for, some, for an individual. I was looking at the key that led to an individual's salvation. And so the Lord brought me into a room or allowed me to go into a room that one, unlo- that healing could come from for the physical body. But then he brought me into a room where I would see all these different keys and the keys would belong to individuals. And then I would meet somebody 
and I would see myself, I'd go, I'd go into heaven and begin praying for this person and like I would have this imagery of me polishing that key like I was interceding for their salvation. And I'd begin praying and contending for their salvation, praying, you know, to the Lord of the harvest, send the laborers, you know, and, you know, then, you know, look at the harvest, it's ready. And I would go, and then that person would get saved. And so the Lord was revealing to me that he brought, he's bringing me to a place of where I could intercede for the salvation of individuals. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, just let your heavenly atmosphere just come into this place. Let it just rest in here right now. See, God wants to give us encounters that are real, that are authentic, that serve a greater purpose other than just being a notch on our belt. See, a culture's been created of kind of you just encounter God for the sake of countering God, and it's almost before it's become in what, psycholo- what psychology calls escapism. Not handling the reality in front of you. But it doesn't produce fruit. See, the, the spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus. In other words, the purpose of the prophetic is to reveal Jesus. But most of the... Uh, 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 you hear so many stories about encounters and like even even in our school I tell our students like listen if you're encountering if you're having an encounter with Jesus every single day you should be teaching this school if you're encountering Jesus every single day of your life in the in the facet in that which you you state that you are would your life look like the way that it does? Are we having an active imagination or are we having authentic and real encounters? And we've come into a place where, and this is where I'm saying God is starting to bring me into this place of saying, Wes, I'm giving you permission to challenge this now. Because there's a, there's a level that's starting to take place where the, the, what people are stating versus the fruit is not matching up. And so what happens when Jesus comes to a tree and, that it's not per, and it doesn't have fruit when he's looking for it? Let me tell you. In one of my experiences, in one of my encounters where God allowed me to peer into hell. I'm standing off from a distance and I look afar from me. And I I see this mangled looking shadowy figure and I'm like, what is that? And I get up closer to it. And as 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 I walk up closer to it, I realize what it is. I want fruit. Where is it? And it says that Jesus condemned the tree. Wow. 
Well, master, it's, it's out of season. I don't care. I want fruit. I want results. I want fruit. And I saw the tree that Jesus condemned. And it put a fear of the Lord inside of me. Oh, you're not supposed to have works. That's striving. I want fruit. Imagine the striving process that fruit has coming from a branch through a leaf, turning into a bulbous figure or whatever the fruit looks like. That's called growth. In many instances, when Jesus said, ye of little faith, he wasn't talking about volume. He was talking about strength. Ye of undeveloped faith. Faith without exercise is weak. Faith without works is dead. So he's saying, I want fruit. In many ways, if the encounter in which we're having isn't bearing fruit, what is it doing? What is it producing for us as individuals? What is it producing for the people around us? I was in Canada during when we were doing the whole Canadian Glory Revival whatever it was in 2016. And as we were there, um, I remember one night, uh, one of my friends and I, we were going to go get something to eat. And we were going to go to one restaurant, and it was closed. And I, and I just knew that we weren't supposed to go there in the first place. And, I, and like, there's this restaurant that kept on like highlighting to me for some reason. It might be because it was the only one open. But it might also have been God. And the Lord had spoken to me. Um, I call there. I'm like, hey, are you guys open? How much longer will you be open? And the Lord speaks to me and he says, tell your waitress I will heal her broken heart. And I said, tell my waitress I want a Diet Coke. And I'm there. And I'm thinking, God, how am I going to tell my waitress that I will heal her, that you will heal her broken heart when I don't even know if my waitress is a waitress because my waitress could be a waiter. You know, like I'm, I'm trying to get specific. I'm trying to get out of it. Like I just want food. I just want to eat. But then again, I think about Jesus said going about my father's business is, becomes substance for me. And I'm like, fine, okay. And I'm there, and I'm at the restaurant, and behold, my waitress is a waitress. And meaning that you know, it was a woman. And so I heard, you know, and I heard the Lord saying, tell your waitress that I will heal her broken heart. And the whole night, just everything was horrible. Service, everything. Like, just completely ridiculous. 
and like what should have only been like an hour visit turned into like two hours and and I just I was not having it I was ready to like not leave a tip because it was just bad like you can't reward behavior that you know and the Lord says tell your waitress I will heal her broken heart and I was like well I can't tell her that and not leave a tip Sometimes the price for being used for the sake of the gospel may not be what you think. Sometimes it might be a tip. And here I am, I'm writing, I'm making sure it's a good tip too because I'm about to make this be real awkward. And so I realize her name is, I realize she's Polish. And so I strike up a conversation like, oh, you know, where are you from? How do you pronounce your name? That's awesome. Like, my friend was Polish, and they never called me Wesley. They called me Vesley because, it, you know, they didn't have a W. They had double V. And so they called me Vesley instead of Wesley and, you know, always just, you know. And I said, you know, this, and I usually start out with these situations like, this is going to be weird because I'm preparing them that it's going to be weird. And I said, before I came here, I, I, I believe that God speaks to people on behalf of other people. And before I got here, God wanted me to, he told me this, and he wants me to tell you that he's going to heal your broken heart. And just within seconds, the flood of tears just comes. And God begins to minister to her right there. Just right there. We, a few weeks before that, or a few, like, when you're, when you're on the road, you, you live in restaurants because you live in hotels. And so you don't have a kitchen. And so we were at another restaurant. Same restaurant brand, different city, different restaurant, different location. And I'm there with some of the road team and just casual conversation. And out of the corner of my eye, I see an angel walk up to the table. And I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. And the angel begins telling me about the waitress. Tells me about how she likes to do scrapbooking. But she's really doing scrapbooking because she feels like her life is in pieces. So she's trying to put everything together. That, scrap, that the scrapbook she's creating is really a metaphor for her life. But she has a real creative side, but she's afraid to step out into it. So she's, pro, she's pursuing something that's really not for her. So... She comes up to the table. She literally stands exactly where the angel is. And I'm like, this is... No one at the table has any clue what I'm about to do. I didn't tell them because I didn't want them to get weird. And I go, this is going to be really weird. Like I said, I start this out with this. This is going to be really weird. I... I'm a pastor, I know. I may not look like it. I have more of an appearance that looks like I just came out of prison. 
but I'm a pastor. And the Lord showed me that you have a scrapbook. It's, bl- it's blue. You keep it on your bedside. It's, an, by, it's on the left side of your bed. And you sleep on the right. He starts revealing these details. And she's, how do you know this? She's tearing up. I said, you also are very creative and you're in denial of it because you're afraid of what will come of it. And so you're pursuing something that's completely not for you. You're trying to make other people happy. But the Lord actually has a plan and a purpose for you. And it's not in what you're doing. And I said, would you like to know this Jesus? And she goes, yes. And she sits down next to me. And which is really funny is during these moments, I, like, if you ask the students, I'm not, like, if I, in our, like, conversations in the morning, like, I can, I can rattle off random scriptures, but I can't tell you where they're at. But in these moments, when like the spirit of the Lord is like upon me for this moment, I'm like giving addresses. I'm giving like like I can tell you where the scriptures are at. Everything's being quickened to me, and she gives her life to Jesus right there. Just because somebody was being obedient, see when when there's an authentic encounter. It begins to change the things around you. I was getting ready to, I, I was getting ready to minister in Northern California. And I'm in my car and I'm like, God, speak to me. Like I, I was kind of at the end of a three or four day run. Like I was ready for everything to be done. I was ready to go on break. And I was like, Lord, like, this is the last night. Like, what do I do? How do I, what do you want me to do? It's a night service. Like, I'm not even anticipating a large crowd. Like, all of that. And that was where my mindset was. And he said, I want you to become like Catherine Coleman was for Holy Spirit's presence. And see, a while back before that, I had an encounter with the person of Holy Spirit. And God began to speak to me. And that's why I'm kind of forever ruined for saying Holy Spirit and not the Holy Spirit. Because I don't refer back to you as the John. Or the Eddie. Or the Kimmy. But I refer back to you as John. Eddie. Kimmy. And so I had an encounter with the person of Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit came and met me when I lived in Canada and walked up to me. And I just got to spend time with Holy Spirit. And so in this, in this, before this service, Holy God speaks to me and says, I want you to become desperate for the presence of Holy Spirit like Catherine Coleman was. 
And so I, I sat there, like I went, into, I went into the church, like I was early, and I began to just seek the Lord. Like I didn't know what to do. And so I, I just closed my eyes and I just began going after the presence of Holy Spirit. And I watched Holy Spirit walk up to me again. And he's, you know, it'd be like if I was sitting in that front, that chair right there. And I had like some women off to the side of me like there is right there. And I just, Holy Spirit. And it'd be like if I was facing them, but Holy Spirit was standing like where you ladies are right now. And I'd be like, Holy Spirit, will you just, I need you to be in this service. And he's, and Holy Spirit said to me, he said, Wesley, they, they sing songs about the Son and about the Father. But I get, I get kind of put into a category of like a garden tool. Will you get people to start building a relationship with me? Will you get people to start bringing me into a, the, the, instead of subjecting me like an object, bring me into the, the, into the position of being a part of the person of who God is? And I said, Holy Spirit, yes. I love you. I'm sorry. You're so amazing. Like, you're there all the time when I need you. Thank you so much. And I just began loving on the, per, on the person of Holy Spirit. And I opened my eyes, and I come out of this encounter, and where the, the women that were, I didn't know that there was women there. I just knew that Holy Spirit was there. And I opened my eyes, and in the exact position of where Holy Spirit was standing, in my experience, nowhere else is anybody like this two women on their face weeping. And I was like, God, what is that? And he's like, well, you brought your encounter into this realm. You've brought heaven into earth, which is ultimately what we're supposed to be doing. I was in Texas, and I remember I was laying in my bed and I'm just seeking the Lord. I'm like, we're going to be doing a service later that night. And I'm, I'm trying to encounter the Lord with all my might. But, you know, have you ever tried to do that? Like, like I don't know how you, like, you know, just, you know, like, you're really trying hard. And so I'm really trying hard to encounter God. And nothing's working. And I see this flickering of light before me. Like a, like a hologram trying to come into stabilization. And eventually this hologram before me stabilizes. And I see it. And it's just for a, a blip of a second, like a millisecond. It has stabilized long enough for me to mentally and cognitively understand what it was. And what it was was the throne of God. And I hear the voice... I hear the voice of the Lord speak to me, and he says, will you stop trying to come up here? I'm trying to establish my kingdom down there. And I was like, oops, sorry. 
And during that time, I was really see, it was during a time of like, maybe you remember, everybody was kingdom this, kingdom that, kingdom this, kingdom that. But no one was really explaining the kingdom. But everything, a kingdom became a buzzword. And so I, I started, I was seeking the Lord on what is the kingdom? Exactly what is this God? And he said, quit trying to come up here. I'm trying to establish my reign, my authority, my government in the earth. From there, I was getting ready for the meeting and fog coming out of the sh- out of the bathroom and it steams up the mirror and i look and like the mirror the top of the mirror was like 11 feet tall like that's how high up it went clearly way taller than me it was above six feet tall and so i look up and in the right corner of the mirror is what looks like a jesus fish drawn in oil Like completely out of like my grasp of reaching. Like I I just, there's no way that I could have ever done it. And I'm, and I took it as clearly this is a sign that Jesus was here. Jesus was in my midst and he's establishing his rule and his reign, his government in the earth. So, you know, at that point in time, I did the best thing you could do with a Blackberry. I took a picture. A bad picture, but it's a picture. And see, God is, see, establishing the kingdom of God is wherever you go and do about the works of Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God into the earth. At any time that you are going and you are destroying the works of the devil and bringing about the works of Jesus, the goodness of God, demonstrating the goodness of God, you are actually bringing about the government, the rule, the reign of God into the earth. Anytime that you begin to prophesy the voice of the Lord, you're establishing the rule, the reign, the government of God in the earth. See, this is why I, I believe it's important that what we experience carries justifiable weight. Not just something that feels good for the moment. And I get that that's a hard thing for a lot of people to process. Well, I have this encounter. Well, does your life show that you have that encounter? Where's the fruit? Because Jesus is going to come looking for fruit at one point, and he's not going to ask if it's the right season. He's just going to ask if there's fruit. See, we've come to a point where we're like, God's grace is so, uh, so greasy, if you would, that he's only looking for certain fruit in certain seasons. When he came to that tree, the disciples told him that it's out of season. He wasn't concerned about the season. He was concerned whether or not there was fruit for him to have. He's not concerned about what season you are in your life. He's very aware of what season you are in. 
What he's wondering is, where's the fruit? Do you have any fruit for him is the question. Our encounters can begin to shape and shift what we call reality around us. We have that ability. As much as you want to press into God, God wants to press into you. I'd much rather have the fingerprint of heaven on my life than have my fingerprint in heaven. But walking in the power and the authority The God that's within you is far greater than anything around you. Romans 8.11 tells us that the same spirit that resurrected Christ dwells within you. Now we've had so much of, a, of an emphasis of who we are in Christ, but it's time for us to recognize the Christ within us. But it's always going to stem from intimacy. It's always going to stem from sonship. It's going to stem from understanding that you're grafted into the vine, that you're a part of the family, that you're part of the community, that you're more than just an office position. One thing that I, I tend to emphasize on in our school is we fight for position. He fought to give us sonship. We fight for a title. He fought to give us position. You're already positioned to sit at the right hand of God. You don't have to fight for a title. You don't have to strive for a title. You already have position. That was something I struggled with for years. thinking that I was a mistake, thinking that I was just a random, random birth. And then I was called upon it at one point when I was a youth leader to share out of John chapter one where it says that as many have received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of blood, not born of flesh, or not born by the will of man, but born by the will or spirit of God. Oddly enough, the first Bible I was ever given after I, I just got saved contained the same verse in it. Little did I know that that verse would become something challenging in my life. Because I didn't see myself as somebody with purpose. I didn't see myself as somebody grafted into the community, as grafted into the family. I didn't see myself as not 
anything other than an orphan. I only saw myself as a mistake. I saw myself as a tool in the hands of other people. I had a lot of skill sets. People just used me to get for their own personal gain. And then one day, the voice of the Lord breaks through. I love it. It says that the voice of the Lord is over many waters, and it goes before you and breaks the cedars of Lebanon. We, and it's like, I just recently had like a different understanding of that verse. That, that verse wasn't talking about the person of the Lord going through and breaking forth the cedars of Lebanon, but he was talking how the power of the voice, the strength of the voice, think about what, the, what many waters sound like. Have you ever been to an ocean where it's just many waters crashing? It's very loud. It's very powerful. But the voice of the Lord is over many waters. It, it, it's Ability to resound is over any sound that could be produced by many waters. And its strength is over whatever those waters can create. But it'll go through and it'll break through the hardest of woods to clear a path so that there's nothing standing in between you and whatever it is that the Lord's speaking to you for. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're not a mistake, you're a son. I was in San Diego, California, as if I have to put California to it, and I was at this kind of visitor, tourist village uh, down by the water, and always during holidays, they would have like different booths and, you know, face painting, balloon animals, people who can stack rocks, psychics, all sorts of stuff. And we were walking through funnel cake. And we were walking through some friends of myself and I, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was after church. And we were walking through Seaport Village, and there was a psychic that was there. And I just got the random idea to go play with the psychic. So I don't carry cash on me a whole lot, as you guys saw a few Sundays ago. That's why I don't carry cash on me a whole lot, because then I can't take an offering. I just give it to people. And I elbowed my friend. I said, hey, give me $5. And he's like, why? I said, I'm going to go play with the psychic. That's just how I worded it. And everyone with us was kind of like, you're not supposed to do that. I was like, why? The God in me is far greater than whatever they got going on. Granted, I wasn't expecting like prophets of Baal and like Elijah moment. Like, you know, you call down fire, I'll call down fire, you know, and see what happens. See what, you know. I honestly had no clue what was going to happen. I just knew the God in me. I knew I was a son. And so I walk up to her. 
And she's like, what's your name? And I said, you're supposed to know that. And she looks at me and she goes, well, I'm not that kind of psychic. And I was like, well, are you a broken one? No. Um, what kind are you? Do I need to bring my dog? And she goes, well, what can I do for you? I said, whatever you want. You have free reign. You go for it. And so I'm standing there before her. Her eyes are rolling in the back of her head. She's, you know, trying to find her spirit guide. And, you know, like doing everything except for like shaking a stick with like dried like coconuts on it or something. And she proceeds to kind of just babble on some things, like real general stuff, like stuff you can get by just reading body language. Because it's easy to discern people through body language. And not anything really impressive. I'm like, man, you didn't know my name and this? What am I paying for? And I looked at her and I said, you know, I do something similar. Because meanwhile, she's trying to read me. I'm reading her. But I'm not trying. I am. And she's trying. Because what happened was is that she's reading me or trying to. And I'm reading her. A gust of wind blows in between us and her little table set up. And all her statues of like sun gods and stones and, you know, crystals and troll dolls and whatever else people use nowadays to like, you know, do psychic readings falls over everything. And I was like, all right, God, you're here. And I tell her, you know, I do something similar. And she's like, you do? I said, yeah. I was like, I've studied dream interpretation and I'm speaking her language. I said, I know a little something about energy healing. And I can read people too. And she's like, you can? I said, yeah. I said, you like color a lot. And she goes, I do. And I said, and I saw your aura. Like, I'm, like I said, I'm speaking her language. And I said, but all the color in your aura, it was super colorful. Which I knew she had a real authentic gift of revelation. I said, but all, your, all, all, the, all the colors in your aura were muted. And she goes, I, she goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, your gift hasn't been working the way that you're used to, is it? And she goes, it hasn't. I said, it's been a real struggle for you lately. And she goes, it has. I said, your energy levels are down too. And she goes, how do you know this? And I didn't really want, I wasn't going to get into it then. I said, not only that, you, your life, you feel like you've been on this carousel. And you're just waiting for it to end. Like you, like, you just have no peace in what's going on right now. And she goes, I don't. And I said, and your kidneys hurt. 
And I knew because I remember hearing a story about Bob Jones talking about the anointing flows through the kidneys. And see, I knew her gift. Gifts are without repentance. She had a gift. She just didn't understand it. And I, so I knew her, her gift wasn't functioning properly. And the Lord showed me, like, her, her kidneys are actually hurting, too. She literally had a physical ailment to what was also happening to her spiritually. She goes, I've tried, my guru, I tried to get my guru to help me take care of that. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm going through the change that women go through. And so, like, my body's just been all sorts of funky. I said, oh, I, I mean, I, I'm a young man. I don't know much about that. And through that moment, I was able to minister to her. Because I, fo- I said, obviously you need a different guru. This one's not working too well for you. And she's like, I guess you're right. And she's like, it's my boyfriend. I said, well, that's a touchy subject. I don't do relationship advice. I'll interpret your dream, but don't ask me what your relationship means, you know. At that point, I felt like a genie, you know. I, I don't make people fall in love with you. Um, and I said, you also, you sleep on the right side of your bed, don't you? She's like, how do you know all this? I was like, Here, here's what I suggest to you. I said, next time you're laying in your bed, and you feel like the world's just spinning around you, and you're just waiting for this ride to end, why don't you ask the Prince of Peace to come into your life? Why don't you ask the Prince of Peace to just reveal who themselves to you? I was like, peace is an entity, and peace wants to meet you. And she goes, that's good. I'm going to do that. I'm going to ask the prince of peace to, to, next time I'm just in that situation, I said, yeah, watch what happens. It'll be awesome. And I said, you need, you need some more energy. You need a little bit of a, a boost in your step, right? And I said, and your kidneys are hurting? She goes, yeah. I said, let me see your hand. And I just grab her hand. Ruach, the, whole, the breath of God, literally means, when, in the instance when Jesus breathed it upon people, it talks about a, an impartation of a warrior-like energy and spirit. Wow. And so when you break it down, understanding the Hebrew is important. And so when you're, bree- when, when, when you're causing the, the spirit of God when you're releasing the spirit of God into an individual, you're releasing a refreshing, a warrior-like energizing impartation into them. So I take her hand. I don't do anything crazy. I don't have any flags. No trumpets, no shofars, no tambourines, no nothing. And I just sit there. And like, I'm not even saying anything to her, but I'm just praying. 
Holy Spirit, reveal yourself. And I was like, well, how do you feel? And she goes, I feel great. I said, that's awesome. And I tried to hand her money. Like, I want to add blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. And I tried to hand her money. And she says, no, I should be paying you. I was like, well, you ain't got it. And I walk away. And she sees my friends off to the side because my friends wouldn't come near us. Which then I'm starting to understand how maybe like Elijah felt in that moment, you know. Like, you go over there. You do that. I'm going to stand over here and watch you from afar. And she yells to my friends, he's an angel. He's an expletive, expletive angel. And I'm like, and they're like, yeah, we like him. And even when I came back, they couldn't understand. So you got to know where, you're, where you are in the, in the, in the kingdom. Most people be like, well, you never preached Jesus. I just asked her to reveal the Prince of Peace into her life. She, she is going to, I'm sure she's met Jesus by now. That's the goodness of God being demonstrated. That's taking authority of an atmosphere and establishing the rule and the reign, the kingdom of God in a place. When I was living in Canada, like you can't work, obviously. It was actually really, I actually have a, I have a more recent similar story, but not, but I'll share this one instead, is I'm in Canada and the, like having money all the time was a struggle because like I can't legally work. I'm an intern, so that already means you're supposed to be broke apparently. And, but I wanted to get a haircut, but I also wanted to eat. And so I was kind of in this like perplexed situation of do I look good or do I eat good? Which one is it? Some of the students and interns are like, yeah, those are real problems nowadays. And I decided instead I would just give my money in the offering because that's what responsible adults do. And I give my money in, in this offering and then, which now I just have money to kind of eat, but definitely not enough money to get a haircut. Definitely not enough. And see, what the other situation was is the Canadian dollar during this time was higher than the U.S. dollar. In addition to that, 
again, I don't carry cash, so I just use my debit card everywhere I go. I was getting charged international fees on top of that. So not only am I paying more because the Canadian dollar is worth more, I'm now having to pay a percentage because they're trying to figure out the dollar difference. I mean, literally, like, something that would cost, like, I, I bought a laptop in Canada, don't ask. It was just something that the Lord told, like, I had permission to do, which is then what allowed me to do graphic design and start a business. And so, but I had to pay more because it was Canadian, more in taxes because Canada has two different sales tax. Then I had to pay the international exchange rate fee on my, for my bank. So what should have cost me $500 cost me like 800 and something dollars. And, you know, through the grace of God, I made it all back. But anyways, that's not the point. So I'm in this conference. I sowed some money into the offering. I definitely don't have money to look good, and I don't have money to eat good. I just have money to eat now. Then someone comes up and starts handing all the interns, like, $70 or however much money it was, and they go, somebody put an offering in for the interns. And so this is being divided up amongst you. All the interns are like, Jesus, have somebody put an offering, you know. Um, and so what I do at that point is I take what was given because there was a spontaneous second offering taken. Because like during this time, we were experiencing what we called the greater glory movement. Where you just couldn't get rid of money. People were sowing cars and then reaping cars. We're handing out offering envelopes and people were opening them and there was money already inside the envelopes. Like all sorts of crazy things were happening. So I take what was given to me and I sew it right back into the, uh, the second offering. I just walked up and put it on the pulpit at that point. I didn't even, like, it, that's, like that's how I know it was truly spontaneous because people just started throwing money on the pulpit. And so I just threw my money on the pulpit. And we, go, we get invited to go out to lunch, and I'm like, well, I'm going to order, like, what's in my account right now. Someone pays for lunch. And I go to check in my, I, I go in my pocket to grab my car keys, and I felt something weird in my pocket. And I reach in my pocket, and I pull out, and it was 20 U.S. dollars. But I'm in Canada. I don't have cash in general. All I have was the $70 Canadian that somebody handed me. But I already put that in the offering, so I don't have any cash now. And then I walk, then we go back to the, to the meeting. And for like the afternoon session now, because we did like three services a day. And... As I'm standing at the door, somebody says, hey, I saw your artwork Artwork you did. I really like it. I'm going to sew into you. And they reach in their pocket, and they pull out a wad of cash and just hand it to me. It was over $300. Then we go out for dinner the, in the next little break. 
And we get to the restaurant and the Lord speaks to me and he says, this one's on me. And I said, well, a bunch of people just sewed into me money. Am I, does that mean I'm paying for it still or how's this going? <laughs> and then the, the people that we were with were actually partners of Fresh Fire Ministries. And they said, you guys are Todd's interns. We're going to bless you. And so they bought us dinner. Then I get back to the meeting, revival meeting, eat, revival meeting, eat. That's how it goes. So we do the meeting. There's always an offering, you know. Um, It was actually the next day, and I was like, well, I'm not going to spend money on going out to eat. And so I go out, and like we, uh, the meeting's ending, and one of the associates comes up to me. He's like, hey, do you want to go? And I said, I don't want to spend any money going out to eat. Like, I need to save money. Like, I got to pay rent, like all that sort of stuff. And he goes, well, we'll order some nachos. They're huge. We'll share them. And I said, hey, that's a great idea. And we go, and I said, and I remember going, God, I want to go out, and I actually want to get nachos, but I don't want to spend money for doing it. I said, but if you, if you provide God, I will become a usable and open vessel for, for the sake of the ministry. And so the God, so God provides for me, and I go to the, and we're at this place. It was kind of where everybody went after hours, um, but it was also ran and operated by Hell's Angels. <laughs> but they had really good nachos, and I walk in, and this gentleman grabs my arm and says, "Who are you? Where did you come from?" I said, I'm Wesley. I came from the front door. (laughs) He's like, where did you really come from? I said, well, I'm from California. He goes, okay. And I sit down. And this is why I also started the habit of not having my back to people. I'm looking at my buddy who's sitting across from me at this point, and I see him square up. I grew up on the streets. I know what this means. And I see him square up and I see him tense. And I, so I know someone's standing behind me at this point and it's a possible threat. So I turn around, fork in hand. <laughs> I don't go down easily. And he goes, I don't know who you are. This is the gen- this large biker gentleman talking to me at this point. I don't know who you are. But when you came into this restaurant, when you came into this pub, everything changed. I have cancer. I need it to go. Would you pray for me? I didn't tell him I was a Christian. Actually, I was really sarcastic. (laughs) I said I came from the front door. And in that moment, I was able to minister to this man. Because when you walk into a room, everything changes. Darkness has to fade. You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. 
Thank you for listening to the Sunny D West audio experience. Please share this with somebody that you know would appreciate it and visit SunnyDWest.com.